I hadn't had a lot of direct knowledge on self-awareness on how to grow myself as an individual. Now, I got taught a lot about organizational policies, which is fine because that's what they pay you for the organization. But I really didn't know who I was outside of that uniform. Like, what does what makes Michael Laidler tick on a daily basis? And that's where I really started to dive deep and understand my passion and my purpose and how I can impact not only myself, but the people around me, because I kind of flipped that organizational first and made it Michael Laidler first. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. I am the often imitated but never duplicated host of the show, Dale Peters. And I want to thank you for stopping by and checking out my little show. Before we get going, I want to ask you all to click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And if you listen to me on your favorite podcast platform of choice, hey, be sure you rate the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And finally, make sure you check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so with that down, hey, let's get right to it. My guest today is a world-renowned professional speaker in the realm of leadership. He's also a best-selling author in the law enforcement field as well. So Black and Blue fam, please help me welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Laidler. How you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for having me on tonight. I really appreciate this opportunity to come speak to you and your audience. Absolutely, absolutely. What's going on with you this evening? Man, I'm just enjoying it. I had a nice, hefty dinner, maybe too much pasta, I'm thinking, tonight. So <laughs> can, I'm hoping that doesn't you have impact too much pasta? too much. Can you ever yes, have you too can, much actually. pasta? Okay. There's carb overload. There's definitely between well, that and yeah. bread, it, it definitely doesn't pay off. But it was good, well, though. That was a good part. Yeah. Well, there's that. There's that part there. <laughs> there's yeah. That part. <laughs> yeah. So I mentioned in the um, in the intro there that uh, you were a world renowned speaker and an author as well. But wh- where are you located? Right now, I live in Beaumont, Texas. For those that have no clue where Beaumont's at, look at Houston, which I know you can find Houston. Look 90 minutes east or look between Houston and the state of Louisiana. There's a highway called I 10, and Beaumont's almost smack in the middle of it. Okay. Okay. So is it kind of like the, you consider yourself the Houston Metro area there? No, that's not, this is not the Houston Metro. This is literally <laughs> past the Houston Metro area. Way if I was in Dallas, yeah. Yeah. If I was in Dallas, we'd call it the okay. Dallas Metro area. If that was that area, but no, this Beaumont is outside of that realm. Okay. Okay. Are you originally from Texas? No, actually I'm originally from Miami, Florida. I did. I oh, wow. lived there until about 17 and then I moved to Tallahassee where I went to Florida state. Um, and that was nearly 
oh, 20 plus years ago at this point. Okay. And then what brought you to Texas? Ooh, the first time around, actually, so my, my law enforcement background, I started at 19 as a police officer in Tallahassee. And I kind of did that and went to school. It was pretty fun. Um, daytime hours, I was in my uniform in class. And then I worked the 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift. So I'd go to work right after. I did that for a few years and I decided that I wanted to get into federal law enforcement and I actually got into Border Patrol. So that's what got me to Laredo, Texas initially as a Border Patrol agent. Then my son was born. We realized at the time that we didn't have any family in Texas. So I moved to Florida where I joined the Federal Bureau of Prisons as an officer, did some work there, got a promotion, went to Louisiana, got another promotion from there and finally made my way to Texas about 2018. So that's kind of a roundabout, pretty quick way to get there. But that's how I'm in Texas. I've been here for five years now. and probably will stay because my sister's actually moving to Houston next month. Okay. Okay. So you kind of mm-hmm. acclimated to Texas now, but you, you were a Florida boy. What, what was that transition like for you? It was actually, I mean, you know, besides the beaches, um, it's, it's all the same. Once you move once or twice, you learn to make everything home. So for me, I had already went from living 17 years in Florida to going up to college. And, you know, that transition, I lived there almost seven years between being 17 to about 24. So going from Florida to Texas was no big transition because, you know, law enforcement, we already have this tendency to adapt to situations pretty quickly. And going from Florida to Texas, in my for me personally, wasn't a big change at all. Okay. All right. Well, congratulations on the uh, on the transitions and the prom- promotions and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so what kind of brought you into law enforcement in the first place? <laughs> actually, and it's pretty funny. I wrote it in my book, and when I was thinking about it years ago, I was like, "What actually started it?" And it was actually June of nineteen ninety four. If nobody remembers that date, being from California yourself, you probably knew or knew what had happened in June of nineteen ninety four. That was the O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> and yes, yep. I read. Yes, okay. yeah. That was a very famous, infamous, whatever word we want to use, um, event in um, in the world, especially in the country at the time. And I was like nine years old, but I was remember being stuck to the TV, and all I wanted to do was be a homicide detective in LA. That's all I can remember. And it was huh? from that point forward that had inspired me to look into law enforcement. In high school, I took law enforcement classes. When I started Florida State, I was taking criminal justice. And in 2004, my sister was a dispatcher. Coincidentally, that was no, and well, it was maybe destiny, but it wasn't planned that way. And she was like, hey, you know what? The police department's hiring. Why don't you try to apply? I met the qualifications. And then next, you know, in January 2005, the Tallahassee Police Department gave me my first chance to be a police officer. So I, from an early age, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Like from that, I could I could narrow it down. It was that that whole situation that got me to law enforcement in the first place. Nice, nice. And then you said you transitioned over to the border patrol. Um, I worked border patrol a few years out here in California myself. Okay. Uh, in the, yeah, in the Temecula station. So I did that for four years before I moved on. So uh, we we have that in common. But uh, what was oh, yeah. that experience like for you? You were in Texas, right? Yeah, I was in Laredo, Texas, and it was amazing. I was a canine handler. I worked at the place, a place called um, Charlie 29 for anybody that's watching that's Border Patrol. Um, it's a major highway coming out of Laredo, about 29, 35, or 29 miles exactly from the border. 
And I kind of worked that area. I loved it. The work was great. The autonomy was great. The pay was great. And probably the best is that there was no really reports you had to write. So you had all the fun of law enforcement, but you didn't have these extensive incident reports that took you three days to write. It was like a couple of paragraphs. Hey, I saw this person running. I chased them. I caught them. (laughs) And that was it. (laughs) Even while I was getting um, dope loads. I mean, it was literally, and it was actually even better because my dog would alert. We would find the dope and that other officer would write the report. So that was, it wasn't much report writing going on there, but it was a great experience. I loved it. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, I, I loved it, but uh, there was, came to a point where it was, I needed a change. I needed something different other than just that same um, line of what you're doing there is, uh, you know, either chasing uh, illegals or, or dope. And so I got out. What, what was your impetus for, for you leaving? My son being born. He was, um, okay. I remember my, my, my ex-wife or well, wife at that time, she come and said I was pregnant and we realized we needed help. We knew how hard it would be raising a child. And all of our family was in Florida at that time. We made the transition. It was literally just a convenience to raise him. I mean, I remember, and I tell this story even when I do conferences, I was making 115 grand a year by myself in Laredo as Border Patrol. My wife at the time, she was making another 35. So give or take, we're making 150. We went from making that. goes a long way in in Laredo though, right? (laughs) It does. It does. And yeah, and we were make out we were making one fifty and based on the family side, we decided to go to Florida and then we were making forty eight thousand combined living with her mother. Which nothing. It was great living with her mother, but it was a big transition. That's what had me leave the border patrol. It was no politics or it wasn't the workload. It wasn't even technically the environment as much as it was finding the right place and to be around the right people to raise my son. Okay. And then, uh, so you, you, you got back to Florida, you went to Tallahassee or where'd you go back to? Uh, it's Coleman, Florida, which is kind of in between. If you look at Florida, you can look at Ocala and Orlando. There's like a little spot right in there. There's a federal prison in there. So I went back there as a correctional officer. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people have the, uh, the, uh, thoughts and the, uh, the memes and the jokes that, you know, going to club fed, um, the types of prisoners, <laughs> that you deal with at the Bureau of Prisons as opposed to state and county. Um, But, you know, obviously there are high level prisoners in in the federal system as well, right? Of course. Yeah. And I've never done, I've never worked in a state prison, but I have heard the same references. And I mean, I'm not going to say I'm going to go trade it to go figure it out. But I mean, I definitely, (laughs) some people, they they say it like, it's almost like a rite of passage. I'm like, no, if I hadn't done it at this point, I'm not going to do it. So I like the federal system and how it's designed. And it, it was, it's definitely been an amazing experience. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so you, you've been in this profession for a number of years and then, uh, uh, but you branched out into, you know, some other line of work as well. You know, at, I said in the beginning and you see right there on your lower third, that you're a professional speaker. how do you, how do you get into that? It's actually quite interesting because most of my life, although I'm in law enforcement, I'm naturally, I well, I believed I was naturally an introvert. And it wasn't until about 2015 when I received my first promotion to an official supervisory position and I was becoming a lieutenant where I wanted to increase my communication skills. Because as we all know, supervisors speak, they communicate, they have briefings, they have roll calls, they have all these different things that they have to be able to disseminate in a clear manner. And I had 
too many people that were in these roles that I had experienced that had no way to communicate and it was horrible. So in order to avoid that myself, I actually joined an organization called Toastmasters. And that particular group, I can tell you, it's been, it's changed my life when it comes to speaking. It taught me about public speaking skills. It taught me about leadership. And I was only paying $60 every six months, going in front of a group of people that all wanted me to succeed. It's even to the point to where in Beaumont, I'm being asked to help open another Toastmasters club on how effective it's been. But I started my speaking career in that point. And I was like, okay, actually, I'm, I'm kind of decent at this. Let me kind of see where this goes. And then one of my former coworkers that was in Border Patrol, he was in the John Maxwell team. And I saw it. I was like, huh, this is interesting. I inquired what, about what it. What is that? What it's, is, what so is John that? Maxwell, yeah. So they're an organization, a program that certifies coaches in coaching, training, and speaking. Now, it's usually on leadership skills. They have some other things, but they give you essentially a turnkey program that allows you to start delivering leadership programs right now. You said, hey, Michael, I wanted to learn about intentional growing. How do you grow yourself as an individual? I could say, well, we could talk about intentional living by John Maxwell, the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. And I can bring that to the company like right away. So that program taught and showed me how to run a business from that aspect when it came to leadership. I went through that certification program and in October of 2017, I actually opened my business up and I honestly didn't know what I was doing, so to speak. I mean, it sounded good. I mean, you know, every program makes it sound good. Yeah. John Max like, yeah, you can just open a business. You'll start getting clients. Right, no, right. It was not, it, that, was, that was not that, it was not that easy as they made it sound. Ain't that simple. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much mostly all of 2018, I spent time just speaking for free. I think if I had any paid speaking gigs out of that 30 or so, it might have been one. So, but it was a good learning. It was a good learning career, a good, a good learning path for me. And then when I moved to Beaumont, I actually stopped speaking for two or three years. One being that I got tied up in a role I was working full time. And then obviously we knew COVID hit around that time as well. Yes. And it wasn't until about 21, I started kind of looking at the landscape of law enforcement and what I had not been focusing on. I was like, you know what? People keep telling me I, I should be speaking and I should be out there adding value based on all the stuff I've learned. And I was like, you know what? It's time. So I looked at a lot of things and I started looking at my own experiences and things that happened. And that's kind of where I came up with my self-awareness presentation, which ultimately led to my book, Greatness Beyond the Badge. Just kind of looking at the landscape of what we were in and what I hadn't experienced. I mean, I don't know how you experienced it, Dale, but prior to 2021, I hadn't had a lot of direct knowledge on self-awareness on how to grow myself as an individual now i got taught a lot about organizational policies which is fine because that's what they pay you for the organization but i really didn't know who i was outside of that uniform like what does what makes michael laitler tick on a daily basis and that's where i really started to dive deep and understand my passion and my purpose and how i can impact not only myself but the people around me because I kind of flipped that organizational first and made it Michael Laitler first. And now when I do what I've been doing lately, it's actually making it better for everything that I do because I know how to bring this knowledge to the table. I know how to maximize people's time. So since that time at the end of 21 and probably up till today, I went from zero speaking engagements in 
2021. I had one in 2019, so, but that's really, I would say that was zero as well. Two, I spoke 15 times last year. I've already spoken five times this year, and I have about another eight or so that's lined up before 2023 is out. All right. That's what's up. That's what's up. What, what sort of clients look for for uh, Michael Layler? Huge. Um, 90% is law enforcement right now. I am, okay. am kind of looking at it, and I know we kind of talked about it a little bit before, the, um, before we got onto this call, but it's been pretty much all law enforcement, which I love because that's my background. That's right. the industry that has built me the last 18 years. It's the industry that's put food on my table. It's the industry that's provided me benefits. My son gets sick. Hey, I call Blue Cross Blue Shield, boom, they take care of it. So mm-hmm. that's been 90% of my clients. I've had some human resource groups that I've spoken to, energy groups, um, project management industries. I did some construction stuff. So it's been a, a little over there, but I would say at least 90% of it's been all law enforcement. Nice. And, and what, do you, what do you talk about? Do you talk about leadership? Do you talk to management about leadership? And what sort of topics are you, are you bringing to the table there? It, you know what? It's actually funny you say that because usually when I speak at conferences, especially chiefs or sheriff conferences, it's usually about leadership. Usually. 2023 has been a really big shift, at least in what I've seen and some of the things that I've been delivering. I'm starting to see more executives, C-suites, look more for mental wellness. And that's kind of where my self-awareness program correlates. So it was almost like I was fortunate enough to have this epiphany in 2021 where I was like, hey, I need to focus on developing the officer as a person. Because now that's what we're really getting into because we're seeing suicide rates being extremely high, which they've always been high, but we never really took it that serious. We would have these classes before. I mean, I remember back in the 05, 06, oh yeah, we have high suicide rates. I, that didn't mean nothing to me. I mean, I was 20, 21. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. But then you start seeing your friends die, your coworkers die, and you're just like, what could I have done differently? And I think nowadays, that we're starting to look at it even globally. I was speaking in Dubai back in March at the World Police Summit. And one of the things that they focused on was officer wellness. They actually, the conference manager, VPAC, he was like, hey, one of the things we're really looking at right now is officer wellness as a whole, because we're realizing how much that impacts all the productivity. We can have this amazing drone technology. We can have these body cams. We can have these active shooter trainings. But what are we doing for that, that individual? Like, what are we doing to build up their mindset? Because when they go through these hostile situations, why they react in this way? Well, I can tell you from my experience, a lot of people just don't know who they are. And when they get into these high, the high stress situations, they're like, oh, now I just have to react. And now we find ourselves criticizing and Monday morning quarterback and some of these mistakes that we've seen officers make even in the last six months. But it's how do they get to that point? That's what I, my goal is to, understand and develop people to where when they get to that point, they already know how they're going to handle it. Not like, oh, how do we fix them now? No, let's prepare them. That's part of self-awareness, knowing that you're going to get into that fight and how are you going to react once you're in it versus trying to play catch up and do after actions. And you know, you've been through them at this point. You're you're all the the background like, well, now we got to fix this officer or what's wrong with the agency. It's like, well, preparation. But pre- preparation on yourself, because if you just prepare yourself for the organization, you're still not going to be good. You have to prepare yourself just for life, and the organization will come with it. Because 
I deal with such, I mean, we all, we, I still deal with stressful situations and people are like, why are you so happy? I said, well, cause I know who I am as a person. I know that I've been through failures. I know that I've had to make big pivots in my life. I know that I've had to set goals to kind of get to where I'm at, but I know that. And I know that if I grow myself in that area, everything else is going to come with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so you've also transitioned into, you know, writing a book. You mentioned that earlier. What's the name of the book? Do you, do you have a copy of it? Yes, actually, I yeah, do. See yes. I keep it one right here. So you can see, right? Oh, let me get my hand out the way. There's greatness beyond the badge, the three key principles for self-awareness. And once again, this all started in the summer of 21. I built a presentation. It was actually, it was first called the invisible law enforcement officer. And then as I thought about it, as I kind of built the book, I obviously, you know, we grow and the title came up and then the principles that are in this book where it's actually derived from that first presentation that I did. So I can tell you in January of 2022, I had zero vision to write a book. And then in March of 2022, I heard a podcast that say, I can help you write your book in 90 days or less. And I'm one of those people that if I hear a challenge, I'm like, you know what? Uh, Let's try this deal. Let's see what's going to happen. And I can honestly say, I think I signed up for that program in March of 22. And this book was published on Amazon by July 26. And there was only the delay was because I, me and the editor went back and forth, not because of the company on some things. So it worked. And that's kind of where the book came from. I mean, I can tell you it's been great. I've been able to get in the hands of a lot of good people and that has made a difference. I mean, I love when people say, Hey man, I got your book and I read it. I mean, it's, it's no way to replace that. I mean, yeah. And you know, books, I mean, we all know books, books last. I mean, you see, I have a whole bunch of books just up here. People wrote it. I mean, you got books. I got, I I, I mean, books, Abraham Lincoln, Colin Powell, um, Nelson Mandela. Once you write it, you put it out and you keep going. And you don't know who's going to pick it up, but obviously anybody's words can be inspiring. And that's kind of what I wanted from this book. Like, Hey, if I can change one officer's trajectory or even one person's path and help them become better through this book, then that's a win for me. Yeah. Yeah. So sum up the book. What, what, uh, what does it encapsulate? What would you write about? it? So, so really the, the presentation, which is my keynote or my signature presentation that I do uh, when it comes to greatness beyond the badge, is three key, three key principles: who you are, why you should develop yourself, and a path to greatness. I know we've talked about basketball a little bit um, in the pre-call, and that path to greatness. Some of it started with Kobe Bryant on how to be the best version of yourself, because that's one of the hardest things we have: is how do we be that person? How can we be better today than we were yesterday? How can we do that? And in summary, that's kind of what my book hits. It first says, hey, let's identify your failures. Okay, you identified them. They make you who you are. Reflect on them. Let's grow from them. Don't just ignore them. Don't pretend they didn't happen. Don't learn from them because you don't want to do it over again. And then as you go through that process, then we talk, I talk a little bit about dissonance, which is why you should develop yourself. Why should you, should you develop yourself? Work-life balance. We always talk about it, but we don't never do it. So I kind of talk about some time management in that side. And then finally, I do, I round out the book with um, something called the 24-hour formula. And that's simply something that, that deals with you controlling your time, not letting your time control you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
and, and we could definitely use all that in, in our profession in law enforcement. But, uh, a lot of those, uh, those traits and skills translate to other industries as well. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, being self-aware, um, actually one of the books that I, I kind of read, or I've read a lot is a book by, um, Tasha Yurik called insight. And she's an organizational psychologist that talks a lot about self-awareness. And when I read a lot of her studies, what I realized was it's every industry. It doesn't have to just be law enforcement because if you're a person, you can use help in time management. If you're a person, you can be more self-aware. If you're a person, you've had failure. So I've taken those concepts and people just a lot of times think that, well, it's only about law enforcement. I'm like, well, I wrote this from a perspective of a law enforcement officer only in a sense of because that's my industry. But when you actually look at the stories, you can easily, easily insert your story, your life experiences into the same ones I had, and you can benefit from it. Yeah. It, it's interesting that a, a lot of these terms are, you know, that we've never heard before, self-awareness, uh, mindfulness, uh, emotional mm-hmm. intelligence, all these things that, you know, we're, we're hearing now since 2020 and uh, moving forward that, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to hear that we didn't hear before. And, and it's kind of, uh, it's, it's different, but it's also helping mm-hmm. us out, uh, to, to be able to be aware of ourselves and, and have that, uh, that ability to, to figure out who you are and what you need to do to move forward. Yeah. But you know, it's crazy as, and you know, as an author, you start reading more because you want to make sure you're given the best information possible. Yeah. There's actually a book by Dr. Gil Martin, he's actually, I want to say he's out of California. Um, it's okay. called Emotional Survival. The first edition of the book was actually in 2001. And then he wow. just made a revised copy within the last couple of years. And he talked about these same principles that we're starting to hear about now. Same thing with Lieutenant Grossman. I mean, bulletproof mindset. What does that really mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah. that yeah. means get your mind ready for the, the fight. It's just, unfortunately, we saw some of those things and we saw them as trendy. And they weren't as important. But now when we look at it, we're like, okay, we can't have enough of this stuff. We can't have enough self-awareness and mindfulness. We can't have we emotional intelligence. We were like hearing these terms, but it isn't until now that we're seeing that the fact that we put our own emotions and our, our own mental well-being on the back burner, that now is starting to catch up, especially with just everything going on and everything being publicized and put at the highest, like well, you do one wrong thing or yeah. the concept of doing one thing. And it's up here. It's like, you yeah. could have done, you could have saved a hundred schools, but if you kind of do one wrong thing, I'll oh, forget those hundred schools. We're going to forget about that. But it's, it is part of the media and the game. And that's kind of how things go, but that's part of where mindfulness. And I think we're starting to get, where I think as a, as an industry, we're starting to get a lot better at that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's go back to uh, your, your nine to five working in the prison system uh, mm-hmm. on the federal side. What, what's that experience like? Uh, I, I haven't uh, interviewed many people that worked for prisons and jails. So I, I, I'd love to get that insight and, and hear and, and see what, what's going on on the daily. What, what sort of uh, experience? Because now you're in management, but uh, even before that. Well, it, it's pretty interesting because, you know, a lot of people in law enforcement, at least my, my experience is usually you start in the jails, then you get deputized or you go to the academy, then you become a police officer, then you probably become a federal agent if that's where you want to go or some kind of state investigator. That's kind of, kind of the path. I did it completely opposite. 
<laughs> I was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had I was I was a police officer first at nineteen, where I should have maybe maybe been in the jail at nineteen to get that experience. Then I became a border patrol agent. Then I went to the, the federal corrections. But I think, at least in my my this is just my own opinion. I haven't done any case studies, but I think that every law enforcement officer should work in corrections at one point or another. Only reason only reason I say that is because your verbal judo is real when you don't have a gun. Yes. Yes. Yep. It is literally that real because there ain't no, Oh, I'm going to shoot you or I'm going to do something crazy to you because you're dealing with convicted felons that are already in jail. So you can't say, Oh, I'm taking you to jail because you're already there. And especially <laughs> in a, in a federal prison. You're, yeah. if you're in a federal prison, you know, we, we all know we could go read a textbook. Anything over a year is a federal crime. So in the federal prisons, you only have, convicted felons you don't have people that have a suspended license and they got caught up in that no in the federal prison you've committed some federal crime that got you to that level so you have to know how to communicate and you have to know how to explain things in a respectful manner so what i realized in prison a lot of it's about respect on both sides i mean because at the end of the day they're still humans they're still people and a lot of them are going to get out even the ones with the life sentences, all these different federal laws and different acts that have been coming out, people that we thought were not getting out are now getting out. So when I hear people say, like, I can remember back in the day, um, I would hear police officers say crazy things, border patrol things. I'm like, you know, like if you were like in a prison setting, you probably wouldn't say that to that person because it's a lot (laughs) different when it's you and that person, y'all looking eye to eye, and all you have is your radio and your fist. Like right. you can't just be disrespecting somebody like that. So my experience personally has been great. Um, I've had a great career. They have taught me a lot. I, like I said, I started as an officer, but I, based on my prior experience, I was able to quickly transition to an investigations role. And that allowed me to see another side of the prison. And then I became a lieutenant. And then I ran internal affairs at the facility I was at. And then I've also been able to run a training department at that same facility. So I've seen a few different levels of it. And I've worked in three different locations up to this point. And for me, I can tell you it's been a great ride. Back in 2005, when I started as a police officer, I never thought I would get into federal corrections ever. But it's one of those things that you're, it's amazing how much is there. And it's amazing what the pay is too. <laughs> which, which yeah, people don't, yeah, that helps. That helps. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, but it's kind of funny. You don't think, or you're like, oh, because most of us only have experience as maybe a deputy sheriff or working in the jail and making thirty, forty grand a year. I know officers right now that are making one sixty a year in the federal government, and like legit one sixty. Now, don't get me wrong; they're working a lot, but you're working a lot anyways, even if you're on the streets. So. Yeah. A lot of people think you can't make money. And we all know federal retirement is great because like me, like I said, I've worked in three different parts of the, the country and it's carried over in every single state. Mm-hmm. If I was working for, let's say, Dallas police right now, if I went to Louisiana or let's say New Orleans police, I would lose all my pension. Yeah, The feds, you carry it everywhere. So for me, the prison system has been great. I've learned a lot. I have definitely learned how to communicate better. And I think that some of this speaking, being a professional speaker, um, it's tried and proven because you have to go in situations a lot more calmly and you have to be able to 
get your point across without force. Because you know what? sometimes on this street, street cop, like we want to do force because we can't. Yeah. But right. you're as a street cop, you 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 put them, you you fight them, you lock them up. You may not see them for a while. And in corrections, I could tell you, ten years ago, I was an officer in Coleman. There's inmates right now that I have seen over the, within the last year that have recognized me and said, "Hey, yeah, man, I remember when you were in Florida. I remember when you were in Louisiana because they transferred to not with me right. just for whatever they did, and now they've seen me in Texas. But it's a respect game." They're like, but nah, you you were cool. You 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 still respect yes. that we you you didn't you show us that. So you just don't get rid of people when it comes to prison. They're locked up. You if you're doing twenty to twenty five years, just think you're on the same kind of bid as they are. <laughs> which is which is which is interesting when you look at it versus maybe yeah. a street, maybe kind of a street patrol officer, you may not see that same person. So it's a different type of way you have to handle them. But yeah, you're gonna say something about the force. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was it, it I just something just popped in my head, uh, you know, using, uh, because you work in the, in a system, in a prison system where you, you communicate with the inmates mm -hmm. and, uh, you said you learned how to speak a lot with them in that manner. Mm -hmm. And now you're a professional speaker. Uh, is there a way that you could probably use that skill to, to speak with, uh, those on the outside that have had some problems, um, you know, with the, with the legal system, maybe. Oh, absolutely. I don't, know what the pay, I don't know what the pay would be, but yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know either because I've never looked into that um, personally. But as you know, just being fellow law enforcement, you learn a lot just by speaking to the public in general. Yeah, like you just learn how. And that's I think that's what makes our our field very unique when it comes to professional speakers. That I don't think a lot of people realize is that we're talking to people usually on not like positive terms. I I. I can't, I can't remember the last time when I was a cop or even in a federal system where I got invited to a Thanksgiving dinner. Like, hey, you know what? You've done a great job. Come come eat at our house tonight. No. If we get invited to Thanksgiving, it's because we have to go fix the problem because somebody had too much to drink or yep. somebody got mad at somebody else. So now we're breaking it up. And I think yep. that's what kind of sets us apart as speakers is because we can go to any audience and we can relate to any of them because when you get to a call, you're not like, oh, is that a black male call we're going to is that a white female like you don't know but and even if you do know you still got to handle it just like a, anything else same thing in the prison like you don't know what what group the people are with if they're gang they're non-gang you don't know their crime you can't and you got to still give them the same respect and that's probably the hardest thing because you sometimes know their crime and we all know the crimes that make us cringe we don't the audience you guys watching y'all whatever whatever crime makes you cringe remember that's a prison but you yeah. still have to respect them because that's your job. That's what you're there to do. That's so I job. think it allows us as speakers to kind of have that same relatability to be able to kind of address anybody in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if there are some sort of opportunities, uh, uh, kind of like scared straight or, or speaking to, you know, to, to those, to that population of, you know, people that have had, have had some problems with the law and maybe, you know, learn some life skills to, you know, stay, stay on the right side of the, the tracks and all that sort of stuff. So. The, yeah. And there, there are programs usually with like, I know in the federal prisons, I don't want to say it's maybe motivational speakers as much, but there are a lot yeah. of programs that are designed to allow inmates to go to get re and there to get, there's initiatives for them to get back to the community. They call them reentry initiatives. And right. some of those programs are designed to help build them up. And 
allow them to get back in to motivate them like, hey, whatever crime you did, you served your time, but now you need to go to society and try to stay within the law, not outside of it, but within it. And I think when we look at these opportunities, there are opportunities out there. It's just a matter of how to get them all together because I do believe people do need second chances. Um, yeah. Some less than others. I, I, I could be straightforward. Some I'm just like, hey, it's not for me. But there's are, there are groups out there that do specialize in helping inmates at all levels to kind of get them back because obviously they're people. And right. whether it's a mental issue with them or whatever issue it might be, you still got to try to get them right if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find much recidivism in the, in the federal system? Seems like if you know, when they come out, they're going to be doing some more state crimes before they, they work their way up to federal crimes. Um, I haven't really studied it like that. Um, I know when I used to do more investigations, we used to read what they call a PSI. Um, also known as a pre-sentence investigation. And a lot of them that were in the federal system had already committed a lot of crimes. A lot of them wasn't like their first crime ever, and now they're at a federal penitentiary. Um, sure. Because to get to a federal penitentiary, especially in the, 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 on the federal side, there's a number of things you have to do to get there. Or you have to do one thing really bad. So <laughs> it's not like, you know, hey, me and you get in a fist fight, we're going to the federal penitentiary. No, it's 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 not like that. So yeah. there's already a lot of recidivism that's got them there. It okay. wasn't like they got in that fist fight and stopped. It's usually like, okay, you got a fist fight in '98, you got caught selling drugs in 2006, you shot somebody in 2011. So it's usually an escalation, usually for the federal side. A lot of times, we're not trying to just bring people in on their first charge unless it's something that is a lot bigger than what like just a normal or I guess an average charge someone would get on the streets for the state. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what, what, where do you, where do you look to grow in, in your business as a professional speaker? My, my goal is to get to a point where I'm doing anywhere from 15 to 20 keynotes a year. And then I tell people that I want to be the John Maxwell of law enforcement and <laughs> what John Maxwell has done he has literally built a company that teaches people how to be coaches, trainers, and speakers. And that's what I want to do for law enforcement because I don't think there's enough of us. I mean, I was doing a recording of my own podcast last night, and I was talking to a gentleman. He had 25-plus years in the ATF already, and he was doing his own business. And some of the things I was telling him, he was like, I didn't know that's how you did outbound marketing. I didn't know that's how you outreach. I didn't know you can ask people for certain dollars. And I think that because of the industry we're in, pretty much the government industry, we're, we don't learn how to market ourselves effectively, especially out there. So at some point, I want to create my business to where I, I'm building speakers. Out. Like, let's say you tell me, hey, Michael, I want to become a professional speaker. What can I do? I want to be able to have a program ready for you to say, okay, these are the training courses. This is what you can do. And it's a law enforcement program built for law enforcement. Because it's yeah. hard. We're tough. We're tough with non-law enforcement. Trust me. I, <laughs> I have people that are much smarter than me that try to do the same presentations. And, you know, we'll be sitting in training like this. Yep. Mm. <laughs> mm. He don't know yep. what he's saying up there. He, it's that skeptical he never, side he, of us. Yep. No, he never spent with a domestic violence call. What does he know about stress? Yep. And what <laughs> a lot of people don't know is that those people are very smart. My partner, he's actually out of Iowa State. He's a professor. We've known each other for 15 years. He actually knows a lot, but him going, coming to a law enforcement audience, 
even with his doctorate's degree and he's a full-time professional in leadership, he's not going to command the same respect because he's not in the industry. So needless to say, that's what I want to do is I want to create that same environment like John Maxwell has created for non-law enforcement officers and created something for us. So we know there's a hub that, hey, if, when we're ready to do that transition, it's something there. And it's, and it's more for professional speakers and people that want to do coaching. And um, I'm not trying to sell cameras. That, that can be some of those other companies. I'm not trying to sell vehicles. I'm not trying to sell batons. I'm, I'm trying to sell programs at some point and build leaders up to where they can go be motivational speakers for law enforcement because we're an underserved community. And I, and I see that. And a lot of times people don't want to come talk to us because they just think, oh, we're, we're okay. Well, no, we want motivation too. But, we, yeah. but unfortunately, we have to have someone that looks like us, someone that talks like us, someone that has the same experience. So we open our door up. But, yeah. So that's what I just want to get that culture to where they're like, okay, if we bring someone like Michael and Dale in, we know that they've already went through a leadership program that's dedicate to law enforcement that's going to help us grow but we can also relate to them so we're going to actually listen that's what's up that's what's up love it love it mm -hmm. all right michael homie. hey man i appreciate you coming on and and sharing that knowledge and experience with us and uh but hey you're not done like i told you in the, in the pre-show here i got a little trivia for you so let me get this started here for you and this is uh here we go black or blue black or blue black or blue black or blue Black or blue? Black or blue? All right, Michael, so this is my black or blue game, and your category today is hooping in the 303 and the 305. I know we spoke off air saying that, uh, you know, you're in sports and you like basketball. So this is, uh, you know, you see Denver, Miami right there. This is uh, NBA players that have played in both of these cities. Okay, NBA players that have played in these cities. I'm going to show you a player. And you tell me, have they played for the Denver Nuggets? Have they played for the Miami Heat? Or have they played for both? Mm, okay. Okay, either either the Nuggets, the Heat, or both. All right? Pretty simple? Yes. All right, let's get to it. Here's your first player here. Chauncey Billups. Chauncey Billups, has he played for the Nuggets, the Heat, or both? I want to say, ooh, I, I know he's done... I know he's done some coach. Oh, he, he's his coach in Portland right now. Ooh. I'll say Miami. Miami. Oh, no. Gosh. He's only played for the Nuggets. Oh, he's Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, out of those two. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, yeah, back I think with he's Carmelo. from Denver. He was, he, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, but I, I was. I was thinking L.A. and um, the, Detroit, Phillips. Yeah, that, that's. I think that he went to Denver on purpose because I think he's from that area. But all right, yep. uh, we'll, we'll get you back on track here. No, Here's no, go ahead, go player. ahead. <laughs> How about Tim Hardaway? Tim, not not junior. Oh, he's definitely Tim a Hardaway guy. senior. No, Tim he's definitely Hard a yeah. Miami guy. Hundred percent okay. Miami guy. I, I'm just gonna go straight Miami on him. Just straight Miami. Oh, come on. yes, he's what played he for play? both. Yeah, oh, that's see that, well that that that, that photo on the right is is definitely late in his career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. I'm, that I'm not saying that. that 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 two must have been two seasons <laughs> or two <laughs> games, man. <laughs> maybe yeah that, that's definitely the heavy side of um, tim hardaway yes 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 that's all right though remember they they on the roster on the roster so that oh okay, you, yeah. gotta think. you gotta have me go look this up later because i gotta see how yeah. many, i gotta see how many minutes well you see the pictures you see the picture he's in the uniform so <laughs> he's in the uniform <laughs> yeah all right here's your next one man how about the alonzo morning 
I'm gonna say straight Miami. I, there's no, there's no way he went to uh, yeah. Denver. Yeah, yep. shorter than Miami. And yeah, I just saw him in his gray suit when they won Game Seven in Boston. He was sitting there yep. with Pat Riley. Yep. All right, good one there. We got you on track a little bit there. How about your next one here? How about Chris Bosh? Miami for sure. I'm not gonna even look at the. Uh, oh, did he? He went from Toronto to Miami. You know what? No, just Toronto and Miami. Yep, that is true. My, yep. Yeah, yeah. Because he had the he heart retired out of here. He retired early. Remember he retired early because he had the yep. or the blood, the yeah, blood clot, blood clot. Yeah. Yep. All right, cool. We got you back on track. Two for two. Uh, two and two. Uh, here we go. Here's your next one here. Jawan Howard. Jawan Howard. Has he played for both or has he played for one or he the other? He definitely played for Miami. He played for Miami. Gosh, did he play for Denver? Ooh. I need to phone a friend on this one. I I want to say yeah. All right. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of these are like at the end of their careers, probably because nobody remembers sure. him ever playing for Denver. Never. Yeah. Him and Tim Hardaway from the must want the same contract yep. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. All right. Here's your next one here. How about uh, Carmelo? Just Denver. Just Denver. Yep. Denver, uh, yeah, that's where he started, and then uh, New York gave up that that ransom for him. Yeah, Miami everybody. tried to get him. They tried to they tried to give him a little time. He actually went to the Lakers at one point, but never got yep. over to Miami. Yep, and I don't think he ever got a ring either, did he? He just kept messing. He tried. We thought we were getting. He was gonna get one with Portland too. He missed. He missed that one yeah. as well. Yep. All right. How about your next one here? How about Alex English? Ooh, that's old school right there. Yeah. Ooh, you might got me on. You might have this one on me all together. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say. Denver only? Yeah, I don't even think that uh, Miami was around when he was playing. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, like the, I want to say that the Heat came up in the early 90s, so I, yeah. I, was, I was just playing the guessing game. I was like, and I was like, is it, was it Denver Nuggets or was it the other? I think the Nuggets were something else before or something like that, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, he uh, yeah, he only played for the Nuggets um, out of those two two teams there. You saw the first person there, he played for the Bucks. I never ah. knew that, but yeah, I never knew that. But all right, cool. Got you there. How about uh, Mike Miller? He's definitely Miami, that's for sure. Because I remember he used to rain those threes. Um, ooh, did he get? Did we get any year? Gosh, he moves around. He did Cleveland for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say Miami only. Oh, uh, he's trying to give you a hint there. Now he did play. For I, the know, I know. I know. I. What? Are you- <laughs> Maybe, look, maybe I guess it was his younger years that actually he looks kind of younger. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, uh, played uh, played for the Nuggets. A couple more here for you. How about Allen Iverson? Oh, Denver only. Denver only. Yep. Yeah, we 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 would have known if he would have came to Miami. We he he never made it down there. <laughs> yeah, we he 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 would have definitely cut up down in Miami. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 We we, we were talking. like, don't come down here, AI. Yeah. We talking about practice. Not yeah. a game. No, we talking yeah. about well, practice. Oh Pat, oh, Pat Riley, he's practicing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, was, was he around? Well, Pat Pat was probably done by then, yeah. But, yeah. Nah, no, Pat, when Pat's been around, he, he, he's, he's like behind Spolstra right now. Just, just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. For that part. Yeah, that part. And uh, how about Dikembe Mutombo? Only Denver. 
Only Denver, that is correct. Oh, sorry, wrong button there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> None other guy. Hey, you do? Yeah. I, hey, some of these names, hey, they're so big, you just know in Miami, some of them. Yeah, you just know that. That's why I was trying to get some of those there for you. And uh, how about your last one here? How about Dwayne Wade? He's only, well, he's been Miami, obviously Bulls. He's done some time in Cleveland. Um, no Denver, only Miami. Miami. No Denver, mm-hmm. that is correct. No Denver. All right. So you, you actually did pretty well there at the end. So we're going to call you the winner. Everybody, hands go up. <laughs> All right, man. Yep, yeah, DJ we got Cali. you. He's definitely like some Miami. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah he's definitely from Miami there, too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right, Michael. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on and, and spousing some knowledge. Yeah, how about some uh, quick words of wisdom for the for the viewers and the listeners before we get you out of here? I would say for every person, whether you're law enforcement or not, make sure you're growing yourself every day. Every day you don't grow yourself, you're losing an opportunity to get better. And one of the things that I've learned over the last 18 years as a professional, 37 years in this world, is you got to control your time. If not, it's going to control you and you're going to lose out on valuable opportunities that you could be taking every single day that you're allowed to take every single day that you wake up and grow from there and just take it from there because you deserve it. Your family deserves it. And then obviously the organization you work for deserves it. Great words to live by. Love it. All right, Michael. Hey man, I appreciate you once again and uh, Hey, be safe and, and, continued success in the uh, in the business ventures and hey i hope you sell a lot of books where, where can we find that just go to amazon type in greatness beyond the badge and you will see this cover nice and ready right right when you pull up the amazon and that'll be me if you want to buy them in bulk just send me an email we can we can get you your whole agency outfitted there you go <laughs> there you go yeah. spoken yes. like a true entrepreneur entrepreneur there yes <laughs> I want to get everybody's hands. I think about it. I was like, if I get my my book in everybody, every officer's hand in like LAPD, uh, Miami PD. I mean, that's like thirty five thousand copies sold. Just just those two agencies overall, mm-hmm. or give that or take. Part, so that yeah, that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Michael. Hey, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Dale. Dale thank, thank you for having me on your show. You got it, brother. And it's a wrap. Another amazing interview for the Black and Blue Podcast Archive. I want to thank this episode's guest, Mr. Michael Laidler, for sharing his story and vision with us today. Thank you, sir. It was truly an honor. If you guys felt honored by checking out this episode, let me know by leaving a comment in the section below. And be sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode if you haven't done so already. I'll be back in two short weeks with another banging episode just like this one. But till then, y'all know the phrase, stay black in blue. I'll holler. I'm out. Peace. This has been a Nature D Entertainment presentation.